we've put together a brand new sample of RAR Premium. So if you've been on the fence about joining us inside RAR Premium, you can get a free sample now to see if it's a good fit for your family. To get that free sample, go to readaloudrevival.com slash sample or just text the word RAR sample like it's all squished together in one word. <laughs> RAR sample to the number 33777. Okay, here's the show. Sarah McKenzie here, and you've got episode 107 of the Read Aloud Revival podcast. So glad to have you tuning in today. Before we start with today's show, I want to make sure that you know today, August 14th, 2018, is your last chance this year to become a member at Read Aloud Revival Premium Membership. In Premium Membership, we know that your relationships matter more than anything else. Your relationships with your kids, they matter more than anything else. And that's why in Premium Membership, you get a regular dose of connection to inspire your kids and ignite their imaginations, community to get refreshed and rejuvenated alongside other moms who are doing the same thing, and confidence to participate in Mama Book Clubs and masterclasses designed to help you teach from rest and lead with confidence. Today is your last chance to join Read Aloud Revival Premium Membership in 2018. We won't be opening doors again until 2019. So head to rarmembership.com to become a member today. If you're hearing this after August 14th, I'm really sorry you missed it, but you can join us in the future. Go to rarmembership.com and put your name on the waiting list there to request an invitation so that you find out when we open doors again. We only open doors to new members a few times a year and you don't want to miss it. If you want to focus on what matters most to your family, if you want to teach from rest and make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books, I hope you join us in Read Aloud Revival Premium Membership. That's rarmembership.com. listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that helps you make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. Today's guest has joined us before, and I'm thrilled to have him back today to chat with us again. Dr. Michael Gurian is the New York Times bestselling author of 28 books, published in 22 languages, including Boys and Girls Learn Differently, The Minds of Girls and The Wonder of Girls, a whole host of others. We're going to link to them in the show notes at readaloudrevival.com slash 107. And today he's going to join us to talk about how girls learn. So here's a quick note. If you missed the earlier episode with Dr. Gurian about how boys learn, that's episode 88 of the podcast. You can find it in your podcast app or just go to readaloudrevival.com slash 88 for episode 88. And that's one of our most popular episodes. In that episode, we also talk about why fidgeting can be a really good sign. So it ends up being a listener favorite because we all have at least one fidgeter, right? While we're reading aloud. So a marriage and family counselor, Dr. Gurian provides keynotes and consulting throughout the world. You may have heard him speak at one of the great homeschool conventions. I am so happy to welcome him back here to the Read Aloud Revival. Dr. Gurian, welcome back. Oh, well, thank you, Sarah. This is a real pleasure. 
Oh, I'm excited to talk about this because last time you were on, we had such great feedback from listeners about how helpful your insight about boys was for them. And so today, let's talk about girls. You ready to talk about girls? I am. Yeah, I have two daughters. So, you know, I'm totally into it. Two daughters. That's right. Do you want to tell us about them a little bit, like how old they are now and anything else that you want to share about them? Yeah, they're 28 and 25 now. And one of them is in law school and the other is managing a climbing gym. So one is kind of in the business route and the other is in the law route. Very cool. So let's talk about some of the challenges that girls face in terms of learning. What are the challenges that come to mind for you right away when you think about girls and learning? Yeah. Well, you know, you know, I take, of course, as you know, a science-based perspective. And so I'm always sort of looking at at where is the science on on things. And I think that there are three big categories we would talk about. Of course, there's more than this, but three big categories that I run into all the time are, one, a girl can have a learning disability. So that's its own category. And those are very specific, you know, case by case, sensory processing, dyslexia, ADD. So that's that category. Then another category of learning difficulty or challenge is in the area of technology engineering. So we broadly call that STEM, and then we say math science, and then you know, then we hone it into what's going to later become technology engineering. And I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that kind of what we call the spatial fields. Mm-hmm. And then the third area ends up being sort of as they're in behavior, as they're in school and kind of working through things and, you know, what we call girl drama, you know, the stuff that then is ancillary to learning, but actually can impede learning and can create depression, anxiety mm-hmm. for them in school. Yeah. I mean, I think that that really as a parent, that's the thing that comes to mind first for me when I think about challenges with my girls and learning and actually just growing up. So but I love that you've given it its own category because that is a huge, that's like, that's a huge piece of the puzzle, obviously. Um, I think I've heard you say before that the way girls process information is actually different than the way boys process information. Sort of a gray matter versus white matter thing. Can you talk to us about what that? You know, it's, I think, foundational to a lot of what's happening, and it's relatively unknown. I mean, I would say 99% of folks don't know about it. So let's spend a second on it. So, you know, the male and the female brain, as listeners may know, are, are set up differently. They're formatted differently, biochemically different. Structurally, there are differences. And one of the primary differences is that the female brain tends to use more white matter activity and the male brain tends to use more gray matter activity. So what does that mean? White matter and gray matter are, uh, so white matter spreads throughout the brain and it's in all the myelin and it's sending signals throughout the brain constantly. Gray matter happens in splotches, so in little areas in the brain. And I'll give an example of one of the gray matter areas is the what's called the inferior parietal lobule. So it's this part of the brain that where a lot of the high math is done and a lot of the spatial stuff, physics, it was a part of the brain that was huge in Einstein's brain when they autopsied his brain. So hmm. so males tend to do their processing in these gray splotch, gray matter area splotches. And so they really concentrate their processing on a particular task. Females tend to do much more of their processing through white matter activity. So they're, you know, they'll process somewhat there in that lobe and then, but they'll be doing five other things at once. They'll be processing other stuff too in other parts of the brain. You know, it's very clear that there's this white matter activity, gray matter activity difference and and it impacts learning and it impacts learning not so much, you know, it doesn't really impact learning very much in what we call language arts or in, you know, English, history, social studies, those areas, which are very word oriented. The female brain is 
is, as we've talked before, is more dominant in the sort of verbal emotive and, and word use because it does words on both sides of the brain, whereas males only do words on the left. So That's right, yeah. The, yeah, so it doesn't impact that as much. Females and females are pretty dominant in that area. But in the, the higher levels of science and math, and especially the stuff that involves moving objects around in space, and that's going to especially affect engineering and technology, even virtual space, that's where it really impacts. And so, like, you know, for homeschool teachers and parents, when you're looking at your little girls and little boys, it's very important if this is an area that you, if you want them to do well later in math and science, mm-hmm. I just say, okay, think about it, focus on it, and have them be playing, have the girls play a lot with Legos, you know, have them be moving around like a two, three, four, move objects around, build things so that they develop a little more of those gray matter spatial areas that a lot of guys just, their brains are already set to develop them naturally. So you're basically saying then you can set them up to succeed in that area later by just giving them more practice and get letting the brain have more of a chance to develop that gray matter. Yeah, okay. yeah you, you set them up for better opportunity later. I mean, the brain is the brain is still the brain. And if a particular girl or boy, I mean, not every boy is good at science, you know, right. if a particular girl or boy, if their brains aren't already templated to, for instance, have a lot of dense fibers or activity in that inferior parietal lobule, for instance, they're probably not going to like, they're not going to be Einstein, right? Yeah. But male or female, I mean, they're just not going to be Einstein. But the key to me is opportunity. Like if we do this early with girls, we're going to give them more opportunity to be better at this. And, you know, why shouldn't we? I mean, it's an equal world. Girls should have the same opportunity that boys have. And I see the only way I see to do it sort of universally Mm -hmm. is to get all of us sort of birth to 15, you know, get all of us to be doing more of the spatial play with girls more. I mean, it's great that girls are doing a lot of athletics now because that's spatial. So that's going to help get them involved in objects moving through space as much as possible and then see what happens. Okay, so you mentioned three major categories. One of them was sort of the science, technology, math, engineering. One of them was the emotional lives, I think, the sort of what we think of as girl drama. What was the first category you mentioned? Well, it's it's the um, depression, anxiety, and the um, dyslexia. You know, anything that we would look at as a mental mental health issue or a learning disorder. Oh, got it. Okay. That's its own category because we are having more and more girls with depression, anxiety, for instance, that's affecting their learning. And then also they have learning disabilities. You know, they could have autism, they could have, and we're having an increase of these brain-based, these are all brain-based disorders. Mm-hmm. From autism to depression and anxiety, they all are brain-based. We talk about them as a culture, you know, and it's fine to do so. We talk about them as, as emotional disorders, or we talk about them as in the field of psychology, and that's all correct. But they do start in the brain, and the brain is under some sort of stress that's partially genetic, right? Everyone brings in genes for this stuff. Uh And then there are triggers that are happening in the environment and triggering depression, anxiety, and then the dyslexia, autism, of course, they come in with, and that starts showing very young. And that's its own category. And we have millions of girls whose learning is being impeded or being challenged by these disorders and differences. little bit about the way girls communicate and how that's unique maybe from how our boys communicate based on their the way their brains are wired. Yeah, communication, you know, we always want to say that this can all work for everyone, male and female, but I think if people sort of study it as you know in in like in the minds of girls I ask people to become citizen scientists and to just check out everything that you 
see on Facebook or that you <laughs> read from a scientist or that you hear, you know, someone like me say, check it all out. Test the kids around you. And as you observe and are a citizen scientist, parents kind of always or almost always notice there are communication differences. And one of the key differences involves what we call verbal emotive, the frequency of verbal emotive communication. So verbal emotive means connecting words to feelings. And girls do spend more of their day, even if they're shy, introverted girls, they spend more of their day connecting words to feelings. So there's two ends of this. One is they're feeling a lot more stuff that rises up enough to become verbalized. And then the other end of it is they're doing words on both sides of the brain. So girls have word centers throughout their brains. And so they're, they've got more connectivity between the feeling centers, motion centers in the midbrain, and then the word centers in the top of the brain. And because they're doing it on both sides. So they not only are feeling more stuff that they are remembering and storing and processing, but then they're connecting more of it to words. So then they're verbalizing more. They're verbalizing more in social media. They're verbalizing more talking to people, connecting with people, you know. So, and that even includes, this average even includes boys who are very verbal emotive and who are really talkative. And we have a lot of boys, and I'm one of them, who talk <laughs> a lot, you know. We talk a lot. But if you study what we talk about, we start to notice, and citizen scientists will all start to notice this, that boys yeah, they talk, they talk about their feelings. Everyone can do that. But at a certain point, you start noticing they're talking more about what they're doing, you know, so the doing part, whereas females are still talking more about the emotions part. Hmm. And so I would say that's probably the biggest communication difference is this emotion processing. Yeah, that I can see that I have three girls and three boys and I can see it. Like as you're talking and I'm thinking about the things that my son, who's a very talkative boy, talks about versus my girls even the one who talks less and then the one who talks just as much as I do, which is quite a bit. Um, I can see the difference in how much of that is connected to emotions. So that's so interesting that that is, that's the way that they're wired. That's so fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, and it's a big yeah. deal. We have to like everyone and, it, and this is, you know, sort of dads and guys especially have to understand this, that, that once that female brain, once the white matter activity is sort of on fire with this verbal emotive processing, mm -hmm that we got to listen, <laughs> you know, because she will feel not validated and not valid as a self, you know, and if we're not listening, if we keep interrupting her, or cutting her off, girls really do need that listening. Now, they don't need us to listen for a half hour, but they need us to listen for, you know, a few minutes, whatever we kind of work out as our rhythm with each of our children, because each child is unique. They need us to listen for that period of time and do some amount of reflecting back so that they feel validated. And generally, once they've started repeating themselves, that's when we know, okay, you know, they processed and we can probably interrupt now. But in that first few minutes, when they're really in that sort of deep emotion state, trying to verbally process all that stuff going on inside, it's crucial, absolutely crucial that we listen and reflect back. Okay. So when our girls come to us and they're in they're they're starting, they're in that white matter space and we can tell because they're connecting their words with their their emotions and they're talking to us about how they feel about something. We listen and we reflect back and don't interrupt. And actually, as a woman, I can say that is, I can, I know that when somebody interrupts in the middle of my describing something, it feels so dismissive to me. You know, it feels like they are like completely shutting me down. But you're saying that's actually just because that's the way my brain is wired. And then when I go back and start repeating, which I know I do, <laughs> that's sort of like, okay, she's, 
gotten through the most fundamental part of what she's talking about, and I can sort of interact with her more. But it's so important for our girls to feel heard. Yeah, we don't want to be dismissing. And obviously, we don't want to dismiss boys. I mean, no one, oh, no yeah, one right. dismissed. Yeah. And with girls, there's this particular, like, sort of fire in their eyes. I think we can see it where they're in what you beautifully called the fundamental, you know, they're they're in that they're in all that stuff. And they will feel dismissed if we don't listen and reflect back. And that will, you know, over a period of a year or two of us doing that with them, you know, that really hurts and that can affect their development. They just won't feel that we popular called self-esteem. Their self-esteem won't be as high because they're they need us as the people attached with them to hear them and to reflect back so that they are validated and, and not dismissed. And so we give them this gift because we also know that in the larger world, you know, they are going to be dismissed and interrupted mm -hmm. and you know, they're going to be challenged. And, you know, that's okay. I mean, it's really great that girls are challenged. But in our safe home, in our relationships, I love to get people to make sure to at least for that first three to five minutes, be listening and reflecting back. And then once, and they generally will start repeating somewhere, you know, you got to individualize this, but somewhere in that three to five minute range, they'll start repeating. And, and if they're in, a, if they've been hurt, by the way, I want to put a parenthesis, if they've been traumatized, okay, we're going to be listening for much longer periods. Okay. You know, if they've been traumatized, abused or something like that, that's going to be a long, long period of healing. But in sort of the normal interactions, three to five minutes, somewhere in there, they'll start repeating. And then we, yeah, then we can, you know, we're interrelating with them. We can say, okay, I got that. Okay, now, now what should we do about that? But in that three to five minutes and for trauma in longer periods of time, I would love to everyone to understand that this is about a white matter processing and a verbally emotive processing that that female brain does that it's great to be conscious of. Yeah, that's really helpful. I can see a lot of, I can actually see my day-to-day -day shifting based on just that information, just, just knowing the importance of that listening and reflecting back for the first while as they're doing that white matter processing. A lot of voices might tell you that you need to learn how to get better at homeschooling, but I know something about you you don't actually need to homeschool better. You need to homeschool happier, to have more fun, to smile more, laugh more. You want a twinkle in your eye. <laughs> and you want your kids to know deep in their bones that you love homeschooling them. That twinkle is worth pursuing too because the key to a successful homeschool is a peaceful, happy mother. And that's what we're committed to helping you become at RAR Premium. RAR Premium is a unique program that offers mentoring for you, the homeschool mom, and we offer Open and Go Family Book Club. This is a family book club you can use with all ages from 4 to 17, and it will explore language arts, reading, and we often dip into writing, science, history, all across the curriculum as we uncover so many good and meaningful ideas. The best news is we do all the prep work for you. If you'd like to get a free sample of RAR Premium so you can see if it's a good fit for your family, head to readaloudrevival.com slash sample, or you can just text RAR sample, one word, to the number 33777, and we'll send it your way. Now, back to the show. Can we talk about social media? Because as a mother of two teenage girls, I have two high school girls, and 
oh boy, the social media and my gosh, just the pull on the siren song of what's happening on their phones is such a constant concern for me as their parent. I'd be curious to hear what insights you have for parents as far as their girls and social media. Yeah. Yeah. This is really a big deal. I mean, it's a social media can be what we call a neurotoxin, which is kind of toxic to the brain. And so let me come at it from a couple angles. One angle is the way that dopamine and the reward system works in the brain. This is a big part of it. So someone, a girl gets a a smartphone. And again, some of this can apply to boys, of course. Girls, males tend to do more on the video game side and females more on the social media interaction side. So it's a good thing to talk about with girls. I love that you mentioned that, actually, because I don't ever have to tell my... Well, I mean, my son's younger, but I don't really... I can see that where my girl, the, the same amount of time or pull that a video game has on my son is the same like intensity of a pull that my daughter feels toward Instagram, for example. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a brain, that is a brain difference. You know, I, I definitely would argue there's a brain difference there that grounds that. There's, of course, nurture elements. There's, there's culture elements. There's all that's a- operative. In terms of that, what you're seeing there, I think most of us as citizen scientists would see that. Uh, we say have some exceptions. We always say when we do this this brain-based work, there's a one in five exception rate. So we're going to see exceptions. But I think most people would see this. And the reason they'd see it is that, that that smartphone, and this is one of the reasons that I'm begging people not to give smartphones to kids until they're 13 to 14. And Bill Gates and Melinda Gates didn't give their kids smartphones till 14. So, yeah, yeah. so you know, they're, they're pretty smart people. So <laughs> I think, you know, I think 13 to 14. And the reason is that the dopamine system is the reward system in the brain. And if if it gets attached to a smartphone, let's say, or to social media, if it gets attached to that, it needs that stimulant for the reward system to work and for the dopamine to flood through the brain. So let me give an example of just to tell people, let's say we have a girl who's really into horses. So she never saw a smartphone, you know, she, but she's really into horses. Mm-hmm. So a lot of her life is around taking care of horses, riding horses, competing maybe, and her dopamine system, her reward system, some of, you know, a lot of what she gets reward from is, of course, her family life and all those great things. But a lot of it comes from taking care of horses. And this is a very natural act. And it's sort of, it's a slower process for the brain to release dopamine and the reward system. She has to actually do something like win a contest for the brain to go, oh, man, you really did great, you know, and, and that builds pathways in the brain, right? That's a sort of natural system for okay. release reward chemistry. Mm -hmm. Now, if she's, let's say she's 11 and she's wired into her smartphone and it's all about the social media, what's happening is she's getting instant gratification and not doing anything. So there's a double-edged sword here. Number one is instant gratification. I have just texted my friend, Anna. Anna needs to text me back right away. If Anna doesn't text me back right away, that causes some anxiety in me. If Anna does text me back right away, I get that dopamine hit. I get the instant gratification. Uh And we don't want either of those. We don't want her to have to be developing this sort of constant anxiety because someone did or did not text her back, which, you know, is going to flood the brain with chemistry we don't really want at 11. And then we don't want her to be getting instant gratification. She's just going to expect instant gratification the rest of her life, right? Her brain's going to get rewired toward instant gratification and anxiety. What we prefer at that age of 11 is that she's involved in doing things and I use the example of horses, it could be anything for anybody, doing things that have a slower pace, a more realistic pace of development, and that set her up to be a more mature adult, an adult who 
doesn't expect instant gratification, an adult who follows through on things, and an adult who isn't constantly anxious. So this is the direct formula we, we need to be thinking about when we attach girls to social media so young. It is affecting their brain development and generally t- to the negative. So I'm not anti-social media. I'm not anti-smartphones or anything. But what I'm trying to warn people about is be developmental. And the minds of girls, I do divide it up, as you know, into stages and saying, okay, you know, if you have a three-year-old, here's the stage of their brain development. So, you know, you don't really want any, obviously, social media or screen time then if you can avoid it. Mm-hmm. But 11, you know, I gave the example of 11 because a lot of people have already given their girls smartphones by then. And I would be begging them, you know, to rethink that because once they get the smartphone, they're going to spend two to three hours a day on the smartphone. So that means two to three hours a day of their uh, brain development is going to be potentially negatively affected. Yeah, where they're getting that instant gratification and those and the anxiety because or like the what's the word I'm looking for? The possibility for anxiety, because I know as just even as a grown woman using social media, I mean, we all do it, right? We put something on Instagram and you go back to see how many likes you have. And you think about how often, how not so much how often, but how tremendous of an impact that can have on a, a younger woman, a girl, a teenager. I can see this just being sort of a recipe for disaster, that this is like the way that they interact with the world. But what you just said a few minutes ago really makes so much sense to me that the example of the horses or the girl with the smartphone, that if our if we're handing our young girls phones and social media, they're getting constant practice with instant gratification. And you said something else. Yeah. And they'll become, they can become more anxious. More anxious. Yes. Right. Waiting for that friend to text back, waiting for somebody to co- leave a comment on whatever they posted, you know, waiting for that. instant. Yeah. 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 And they measure, they come to the point where they're measuring themselves. How do I look like, do I look like that person over there? You know? And I mean, all of this stuff is, it's potentially, if they're getting into that too young for brain development, it's potentially detrimental. You know, by the time they're 15 or 16, okay, they're they're relatively well-developed brains by then, and it's not likely we're going to keep them from having a smartphone at 15, 16. But, you know, the pruning period, a huge deal here is the pruning period in the brain. The girls' brains are doing this massive amount of pruning. So pruning is a use it or lose it in the brain, and the cells that are being used kind of are kept, and the cells that are not being used are thrown out by the brain. And it, it happens to every human being. And it has to happen because the brain has a lot of cells and it just can't keep them all. So it's really a big part of adolescence in the brain. And it follows right along with puberty coming, you know, where the brain is going through this big transition between child brain and an adult brain during adolescence. Well, that that time between like nine and 14, huge, huge pruning period. And we want that brain to be pruning based on real life because Real life is what it will have to live at 30. We don't want it to be pruning based on two or three hours on a smartphone, which most of which is not real life. Yeah, that's so good. That's so helpful. So nine to 14 is where most of that pruning happens. Yeah, you know, it's happening all through our lives, but that's a huge pruning period. Nine to 14, 10 to 15. I mean, it's like, and it's especially acute in that sort of 10 to 13 age group. It's acute and we have to protect our kids during that time, especially. So when you're talking to parents about interacting with their girls, is there anything else that just comes right to mind? Like this is what I'm hearing all the time that, that parents are concerned about or that you wish you could tell more parents of girls about the minds of girls. And of course, we're going to listeners, we'll be putting links to Dr. Gurian's books in the show notes. 
His newest one is The Minds of Girls. And if you have daughters and you're intrigued by what Dr. Gurian said today, you want to get your hands on that book because he breaks things down developmentally and kind of across the board. So you get to see, you'll get a lot of insight into how you can best interact with and help your child, your daughter, develop in a really healthy way by getting your hands on that book. But what else, Dr. Gurian, have I not asked you about that just sort of comes to mind? Anything? Well, let's see. The girl drama thing is... Yeah, I mean, that's one that a lot of we all have, you know, I, I, as you know, I have two daughters and they're grown and Gil and I lived with that for the 10 years of their lives. It's and it continues, you know, the female (laughs) brain is so active emotionally, empathically, you know, empathetically, it's, it's so let me talk about this one particular part of the brain that makes this part of what's going on. This insula is this part of in the midbrain that fills up with mirror neurons. And in girls, those mirror neurons they don't only get more mirror neurons, like when they see someone in pain or they see someone also when they see someone roll their eyes at them, you know, their brains just light up with all this processing about that. And they get mirror neurons and, and boys, like people will will say, well, why, why isn't there more? Well, boys have drama. Sure. There's boy drama, of course. But why is it that the boys are not, are not spending as many days, you know, responding to someone rolling their eyes at them? And it's one of the reasons is they just don't fill up with as many mirror neurons. They don't use as much white matter activity. But girls, you know, they're they see it all. They read the the facial cues. They see the girl rolling their eyes, rolling her eyes. And then so my daughter, Davida, you know, let's say responds to that and and is processing for hours and hours. Why did Anna roll her eyes at me? And then and then if social media is involved, you know, then she gets on there and something and makes some negative comment about Anna or Anna makes a comment about her and the whole thing you know, can go nuts. Well, okay, the normal part of that is, so there's a normal part of girl drama that we should actually love and respect, which is that as girls get involved in these emotional dramas, what they are doing is they're developing boundaries. And so a lot of it's normal, and it has existed since the beginning of time. It's normal. They they respond to this stuff, and then they they react, and other people react, and they have to react, and they are learning about relationships. And especially about what are the appropriate boundaries? Like, okay, how do I maturely respond to someone who rolls their eyes at me? Is it mature for me to totally overact? Or, you know, can I have some good boundaries here and go, well, okay, she rolled her eyes. She was in a bad mood. It doesn't really have to do with me. I go on. Mm-hmm. That's what they're experientially learning over that period of five to 10 years as they're involved in a lot of this drama. And one of the reasons girls need to learn that is that they do tend to merge because the insula, the mirror neurons, the empathy, all of this, they tend to merge themselves. And women talk about this a lot as adults where they're merging themselves with other people and they lose themselves. Yeah. Like say, I'm working so hard to take care of everyone else. I don't have a self. Yeah. Well, it's a real phenomenon. And during that, those years, especially of 10 to 20, we actually want our girls to be having drama, you know, not dangerous drama, but to be having this normal girl drama so that they can build a self, a resilient self. And you know, that's the subtitle, The Minds of Girls, A New Path for Raising Healthy, Resilient and Successful Women. And that resilience is a big deal. They need that. And they develop a lot of it by going through all these sort of mini crises in girl drama. So that's the positive. And I have, as you know, a whole chapter on that explaining to folks how that works and how they can help manage that. The negative, of course, of girl drama is when it becomes cyberbullying or it becomes bullying or dangerous. And that we're not saying is normal. And that's kind of a form of violence. And we don't, we don't like that. And we're always battling against that. And I give people strategies for that. But I think what people find especially interesting or helpful is, is this idea that girl drama is normal and can be healthy. 
Yeah, I like that. That's really helpful for me as a parent to know. I mean, that we don't want to protect our children from it completely, our daughters from it completely, because they need to go through it so to, to develop that resilience, to develop the skills and the way to like create those boundaries, right? So that they're not prone to losing themselves in it as they get older. Would you say then that that is, as parents, that's one of our the most important parts of us listening and reflecting back to our daughters is sort of helping them process through that emotional drama in my no, I think that's absolutely true. I, they A lot of their lives for a few years, somewhere in there, it's going to hit every girl at a different time, but somewhere in that 10 to 20 age group, you know, I think every girl goes through a period where she feels like a zero self and she's constantly involved in feelings that become drama or that are internal drama, you know, and that's a time when she's really vulnerable and when it's so great for us to listen to her, reflect back, help her process. And this is also a thing that's sort of fundamental about male-female difference. And it's something where we can enlist the help of both males and females here. And I'll, I'm going to use mom and dad here, even though in some situations dad not, might not be around or, or mom might not be around. But let me just use that as the scenario. You know, males and females approach girl drama differently in general. Yeah. And we want that. Like we want someone, and I'm going to say it's the mom, but again, it could be the dad. This is not a stereotype. But, you know, often it's the mom who will be listening and reflecting and saying, oh, yeah, that's so hard. And, oh, she hurt your feelings, you know, and that's really, really great. And it's also great to have someone else. And in this scenario, it might be the dad who uh, but it could be the mom who says, yeah, that happened and that hurts. And now, you know, OK, so how do you want to change? <laughs> what do you want to do now? Call Anna. Do you want to call Anna and talk to her or do you want to just do in the fact that Anna rolled her eyes at you. And so I'm saying this very starkly, obviously, you know, people are going to probably say this sweeter, but <laughs> but it's it's good. What I'm trying to get at is it's actually good to have, this is called bi-strategic parenting, where you have different approaches to your daughter and obviously to your son, different approaches that give them different assets and that bring out of them different assets. And, you know, one set of assets is the listening, reflecting, and really not critiquing or or problem solving much. The other set of assets is how do we problem solve? How do you remain a separate self? Why are you so engaged in this? Why do you care? You know, we actually need to give both messages to our daughters and, and our timing is important. The person who's saying, okay, you know, buck up, that's just an eye roll. That person can't say that in the first minute of processing. They still have to do that processing first. They still have to do the processing. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But that person could say it at three to five minutes. You know, and uh, has you know, depending on the situation, whereas one, the other person, and it may be the mom or the dad, may not really want to be that parent and may just want to be the listener and the processor. And that's great. Bi strategic is great. So good. That is so helpful. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. We need a, a lot of approaches. I think pop culture kind of tells us, well, there's one way to respond to a girl. And, you know, you can tell, I, I would say, no, I think we need multi strategic approaches. Yeah. Pop culture does. And also like parenting books. I mean, like depending on kind of where you go for your expert advice, a lot of times we think there's just one way to handle something. So I like how you say there's there's lots of different ways and they all have their benefits. You know, they all have their strengths and helping our children develop and they'll have a role to play there. Yeah, I think I think we should trust ourselves. I mean, if someone is putting a child in danger, if he or she is abusing, you know, that's going to go in a separate category. But mostly I think we parents with all our various different styles which we parent, we should trust that they're all part of a puzzle and not be too hard on ourselves. You know, if we're not really a great listener, okay, that's all right. I mean, as long as someone else is a really great listener in our household, I think that's going to work. 
So we need to trust ourselves. And, and I think this is an important message for people, especially to try to make sure that dads are involved because our culture is, is really hard on sort of males. You know, it, it sort of wants males to be one way mm-hmm. and wants fathers to be one way. And usually that one way it wants them to be, or often that one way it wants them to be is not who they are. Yeah. And, you know, and we guys can learn a lot from social movements about being more emotional. I certainly have. But at the same time, we don't want dads to be far away and we don't want to push them out. Yeah. And so part of what I think we have to do now in the new millennium is actually convince all of us that the way dads do things also have merit naturally. Just yeah. the way they are have merit. They're not perfect, but they have merit. Yeah. And they play an important part in the development of our sons and daughters, right? So, Oh, absolutely. We all, moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, we're all playing a crucial role. So, of course, this is the Read Aloud Revival, and we love to give book recommendations. for. I know we're out of time, but before I let you go, I'm wondering if you can recall any books in particular that you enjoyed reading with your girls or talking with your girls about, or that your own daughters enjoyed reading as they were growing up. Oh, sure. Well, yes. I mean, I have to go back in my memory, but I certainly remember Goodnight Moon, and I remember you know, like Corduroy, I mean, all of those classics, we, we were into all of the classics. And then I remember as they, as they got older, To Kill a Mockingbird, yes. with the female lead, you know, I thought that was really great. And we were always trying to find books that did have female leads. But I do want to say that we even if the books had male leads, you know, we would always say, well, you know, what do we learn from that? It doesn't yeah. have to only be female. Well, it's and probably then, easier now than ever to find books that have strong female leads, I think. Oh, it is now. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, my kids are older. I mean, now yeah. there's so many that I wouldn't know about that you would know about. But I, I, um, I guess overall, what I would say is we, we were always looking, we looked for two things at once. We did want female leads, but we also looked for quality. And if the messaging in the book, even if it had a male lead, the messaging was good. I would read the book with my daughter and just have my daughter put herself in that place, you know? Yeah. You know, I think you do that naturally too. You know what I mean? Like, I'm trying to think if, if I'm reading a Peter Pan or something, well, I guess that's probably not the, the best example. Or like Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you already as the reader kind of associate most strongly with the character, regardless of whether they're similar to you or different, you know, you, like you sort of find your own. I mean, that, I think that's one of the things that makes reading so powerful is because we get the chance to really relate to the character in the story who may live very differently or very similarly to us. And every time we get to do that, and we walk a mile in someone else's shoes. That gives us a chance to sort of experience life through a new pair of eyes. And so even as a female reading stories with male leads or for my son reading A Little House on the Prairie, he's still going to relate with Laura because she's the main character and that's how stories work, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. And you've hit it. Like Winnie the Pooh, Little House on the Prairie, we read with our kids. And Winnie the Pooh was a huge favorite. I bet that our girls read that, I don't know how many times. And the Narnia Chronicles, you yeah. know, the... They, yeah, they mainly, Christopher Robin obviously was male, et cetera. But the, the neat thing about the way the human brain works is that in those first years, you know, like birth to 10, it's not really differentiating sexually. So if it's a male lead or a female lead, it doesn't, the brain's identifying with that character and isn't really saying, oh, wait, that's a male lead and I'm female. It's not doing that yeah, really right. until later. So parents who, who girls, who may say, and, and rightly, that there aren't enough or there aren't, there haven't been enough little, you know, little girls in the leads. Uh, the good news is that, that until sort of puberty time, that girl is still getting all of the messaging that we want her to get from Christopher Robin. It's still happening and it's not really a detriment to her. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Well, 
Listeners, make sure you get your hands on Dr. Gurian's new book, The Minds of Girls. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. That's readaloudrevival.com slash 107. And we'll have links to Dr. Gurian's other wonderful books there as well. In addition to his previous conversation he had with me here at the Read Aloud Revival All About Boys, which is episode 88. Dr. Gurian, thank you so much for coming back on the show. If our listeners want to connect with you, where's the best place for them to do that? Oh, yeah. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Yeah. my uh, So GurianInstitute.com, G-U-R-I-A-N, GurianInstitute.com has sort of all of our programming. And then my own website is MichaelGurian.com, G-U-R-I-A-N, MichaelGurian.com. And so those would be two good websites to look at. And of course, all my stuff is like through your link and through Amazon or anywhere. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast, where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. My name is Hudson. I'm five years old, and I like the three Billy Goats Gruff because I like when the Billy Goat pushes off the troll. And I live in Texas, America. Hi, my name is Jude, and I live in Texas, America. And I'm three years old. And uh, my favorite book is the and is the three Billy Goat Gruff. Billy Goat pushes the troll off the bridge. Jude. Then how old are you? Are you three? I said that, Mom. Are you three? Yes. Are you three? Yes. Are you sure? I'm sure. You're full of you? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you and I'm four years old. Hi, my name is Hutch, and I am five years old. I live in Texas, America. My favorite book is and The Three Bears. The part I like about it is when she sinks into the mommy bear's chair. My name is Jocelyn and I'm six years old. I live in Wisconsin and my favorite book is Little House in the Big Woods. I like it because there's sisters like me and my sister and I like it when Pa makes maple syrup and and I do the dance. My name is Cameron and I love Fly High Guy and I love it because we get to learn about space in it and I love that it because we really get to learn about space in it. And I am four and I live in Texas. What's your name? Alice. Alice. And how old are you, Alice? Three. Three. And where do you live? Arizona. Good. So what's one of your favorite books to read out loud? Um, my Sarah and Duck Christmas one. Your Sarah and Duck Christmas one? What do you like about it? When they get trees and get the lights and put them on. When they get trees and get the lights and put them on? Yes. Oh, so fun. Thank you, Alice. Hello, my name is Isaiah Payne. I am 10 years old. I am from Edmond, Oklahoma. 
My favorite book is Lunch Money by Andrew Clemens because it involves friendship and the use of money and how to spend it. And it also shows you how to sell products. Yeah, and it also shows you how to make comic books. Hello, my name is Asa, and I'm seven years old. My favorite book is a Banner Beakers of 141st Street, and I like it because the kids band together to save their home. Asa, where do you live? In Sanford, Florida. My name is Naomi, and I'm six years old, and I live in Sanford, Florida. My favorite book is Fancy Nancy, and I like it because there's lots of fancy things in it. My name is Grady, and I live from Baltimore, Wisconsin, and my favorite book is Working Hard with a Mighty Dump Truck. It likes semis and combines, and my favorite part in the book is when he's hauling roads and fire trucks come up, and I'm five years old. Thank you so much, kids. I always love to hear the books that you're enjoying. So thank you for calling those in. Thanks to Dr. Gurian for another fantastic episode. If you want the cheat sheet, show notes, links to anything we talked about, or a complete transcript of today's show, go to readaloudrevival.com slash 107. And don't forget that today, August 14th, 2018, is the last day to join Read Aloud Revival Premium Membership for this year. We have a fantastic fall lineup, including people like the author of The Mysterious Benedict Society, Trenton Lee Stewart, the one and only Kate DiCamillo, some excellent young writers workshops, a whole bunch of good stuff happening. You can get all the details at rarmembership.com. And until next time, go make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. Are you still here? Okay, well, I am too. And I wanted to check to see if you've had a chance to download the samples from RAR Premium yet. RAR Premium is committed to helping you become the peaceful, happy mom you're called to be so that your kids know deep in their bones that you just love homeschooling them and also so that they can become lifelong voracious readers. Get a free sample of RAR Premium by going to readaloudrevival.com sample or by texting the word RAR sample, like it's one word all squished together, <laughs> to the number 33777.